Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Good work. It is good to see everyone that is here today. It's good to see new faces, familiar faces. If it's your first time here with us, I hope you were greeted with a warm welcome. I hope um, you had any questions answered that you had, but I hope you also found us to just be a friendly group of people that are trying to follow Jesus with the best of our ability. If you'd love to learn more about how to follow Jesus, talk to one of us. We'll get you plugged in. We'll get you in a Bible study. If you've been studying your Bible and you want to get baptized into Jesus, talk to one of us. We can do that too. Uh, we'll be glad to help you out in any way that we can. I want to put a picture up on the screen, though, and I want you to tell me, you don't have to say it out loud, but do you see something wrong with this picture right here? Now, that vehicle is turned off, mind you. Now, if you notice, the shifter indicator says that that car is in first gear. Now, that's, that's my car. Um, my car's been like that for about eight years. The shifter indicator doesn't work. It doesn't bother me. I don't notice it. I get in the car, I start boom, flipping into gear, and I take off. I can shift through the gears. I can downshift. I know exactly what gear I'm in without looking at the indicator, even though the indicator says in first, it's in first gear. Now, years ago, I tried to fix it. I tore the dash all apart. And I had it fixed for about a half hour, and then it broke again, and I said, that's it, and I left it alone. And years and years have gone by, and I've gotten used to it. I don't notice it. I don't think about it. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect my life. I just get in the car and I go. But it wasn't until about a month ago, Claire, who's learning to drive, I said, you know what? We should have you drive the expedition because I'm going to sell that to you one day. So we get into the car. I said, all right, you need to put it in the drive. And she looks at it and goes, well, how do I know what gear I'm in? I said, well, just click it down three clicks. So she clicks it down and she hits the gas. It goes, vroom. It wasn't in drive. It was in neutral. I said, well, no, you got to click it back one. Backwards. We go. No, you got to go down. Now you're in second. Let me drive. No, right? I said, here, I'll put it in gear for you, and I, then we'll drive. See, here's the issue. Oftentimes, we get so used to th things being messed up, we just consider it normal. I never think at all about the fact that you can't tell what gear the vehicle's in, because I can tell, and Zinni can tell, and no one else drives the car, because we can feel it. But to someone who's never been in that situation before, never driven that car, they don't know how to feel the transmission. They, don't, they can't just tell by the number of grooves you've passed with the shifter. They need to see the indicator. And really, it wasn't until Claire got into the car, I said, you're right. That thing is still broken. I haven't paid attention to it in a very, very, very long time. See, sometimes it takes kind of an, an outside perspective or a wake-up call, you might say, you know, to kind of see how broken things really are. And I'm sure we all have things in our life that are like that, that maybe no, you don't notice anymore. I have a dirt bike sitting in my garage that the radiator shroud, such a little plastic pieces on the side, didn't line up with the tank that I bought. Apparently, the tank I bought wasn't for that motorcycle. I've made them work with zip ties. Those same zip ties have been on there for six years now. I don't notice it. Someone else goes, why are the zip ties there? You're right. That maybe I'm just a redneck and I don't fix things. But, you know, sometimes we get so used to things being a certain way, it takes an outside perspective to go, hey, why, why is that like that? 
I mean, we probably had things like that happen before in our lives. Um, I remember this toaster we had growing up. We had this toaster that if you cooked waffles in the toaster, when the waffles t popped up, you flipped them over and you put them back in because that's how you got both sides cooked. And I remember a friend of mine came over and goes, why don't you guys buy a new toaster? It's like, I guess I never thought of that, right? I mean, it takes that outside perspective sometimes to tell you that things are actually broken. We need someone to tell us that's not how it is supposed to be. And that could be in everything. It could be in our families. It could be in our churches. You invite someone to the church and go, hey, how come you did it like this? And you go, I don't know. That's just what we've been doing, right? And sometimes we need someone to tell us that's not how it's supposed to be. With that thought in mind, I want us to begin a sermon series in the book of Nehemiah. Now, we, five, six years ago, it was 2017, that we actually went through the book of Nehemiah before. A lot of things have happened since then. And in light of even like with COVID and some of the things that happened with that, I think maybe we've gotten used to a certain way of things being. And then it's all of a sudden it, you're like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't the way that it is supposed to be. And I think the book of Nehemiah will be very relevant to us as we work to continue to arise and build and do the work that God wants us to do. Because if we're not careful, we end up just kind of falling into a groove of not realizing that maybe things aren't the way that they should be. I'll give you an example. And every preacher I've talked to in every church will tell you this. They'll tell you that Ever since we shut down and went online, there's some people that never came back. You get used to something. You get used to something being a certain way, and then when it takes an outsider to go, hey, how come you don't go to church? And you think, oh, maybe, maybe I, I, I should. You know, it takes that outside perspective. So our theme for the next several weeks is going to be Arise and Build. And we're going to talk about the need for us as a church and as individuals to do the work that God wants us to do. We can't put it off, we can't put it on hold, we can't accept brokenness and just move on and ignore it. We got work for us to do. Now, if you're new to the Bible, especially the Old Testament, let me kind of show you where this fits in the timeline. You might not be able to see the timeline on there. Don't pay so much attention to dates and things like that. But basically, we have the Bible beginning with creation. We go to the time of Abraham, to the time of the Exodus with Moses in Egypt and all that. They leave Egypt. They go into Canaan, the Israelites. See, most of the Old Testament deals with the family of Abraham, which are called the Israelites. So that's why we focus on, on those individuals. That's the family line that Jesus would come from. Um, then you go into the period of our Bible known as the Judges. The book of Judges deals with this. Israel had this tendency to do what was right for a while. Then they would sin. God would punish them. And he'd rise up a leader, a judge, to help them do what is right. Then Israel begins to have a, a united kingdom under King Saul, under King David, under King Solomon. The kingdom splits with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And then you go on down the line with the divided kingdom. And then we focus in a little bit closer during the divided kingdom. At one point, it's about 722 B.C., the northern kingdom falls. And about 586 B.C., the southern kingdom falls. And that's where we are in the book of Nehemiah. Because of the sins of God's people, the Israelites, God brought Assyrians and Babylonians to come and punish Judah and Israel. Around 722 B.C., so before the time of Jesus, the Assyrians deported the 12 northern tribes of Israel and scattered them kind of all over the known world. 
That was the northern kingdom, okay, the kingdom of Israel. Then a couple centuries later or so, the Babylonians came in, and they sacked and destroyed, and they basically depopulated Jerusalem, and we find out that it's because God is using them to punish Judah for their unfaithfulness. And what God did was, is he punished Judah with about 70 years of captivity in Babylon. This is under historical record as well. You can see all of this. While the Jews, whoops, while the Jews were captive in Babylon, uh, the empire's leadership changed hands from the Babylonians to the Persians. So the Babylonian Empire was the big empire. Then you have the Persian Empire. And then toward the end, I don't know why my slides are sticking today. Let me go back to that one. Um, and during the 20th year of the Persian king Artaxerxes, around 464, 423 B.C., the book of Nehemiah begins. So the Judah's still in quasi-captivity in a sense under the reign of King Artaxerxes in the Persian Empire. Here you have the book of Nehemiah being written. Now, even though the Jews were in captivity, there were some that were left in Jerusalem. This was what we would call a remnant. But this remnant that was left there in Israel, in Jerusalem, was having a lot of spiritual problems, a lot of spiritual disarray. And over a decade before the time of Nehemiah, uh, Ezra, who was a priest, had already gone back to Jerusalem. So Ezra was in Persia. He goes back to Jerusalem to try to help the people revive their spiritual condition, to preach the word of God, but it didn't really resolve things quickly. The walls of Jerusalem are still in rubble, and that once great holy city has been in ruin for a very long time. Ultimately, for multiple generations, God's people had ignored the problems in Jerusalem. I mean, if for 70 years you've been there and the wall has been crumbled, the temple's not there, you're not really worshiping, you're not reading the law, you just kind of get used to it, you get stuck in a rut, and you just don't see the problem anymore. So our first lesson, as we look at the book of Nehemiah this morning, that we're gonna, this is the first lesson for our series, is we need to make sure that we don't forget when something is broken. The fact that I forgot that that shifter, which by the way, Claire, I'm still not going to fix it, you got to learn, but the fact that I didn't fix that shifter indicator, it's not worth the cost, people, to fix it. It's a tiny line long little thread. Um, but the danger of it is other people maybe don't know it's broken and they fall into that same trap or they crash the car. This morning we're going to talk about those times that when we forget that something is broken. But we're not going to talk about cars. Let's talk about other things. What about the fact that sometimes we get accustomed to a broken life? Yeah. We get accustomed to spiritual depression. We get accustomed to falling into the same sin over and over again. We get accustomed to the same routine that doesn't put God first. We get accustomed to broken lives. And that's just the way it is. We don't think about it anymore. That's just how I am. How many times have you heard that? Someone will go, I know I shouldn't be like this, but that's just how I am. What has happened? You've gotten used to being broken. And you've started to tolerate, and now you just don't even notice it anymore. We do that. Or maybe not even our own lives, but we get used to broken lives all around us. We see people behaving in ways that's all sorts of ungodly. Whether it's on TV, on a movie we're watching, online, our friends, our family. We see broken people living broken lives of sin, and we just, it doesn't bother us anymore. 
How much sin are we exposed to on a daily basis that doesn't even cross our mind as being sinful? Maybe we're viewing it as entertainment. Maybe we're participating in it. How many times do we do that? We get accustomed to broken lives. What about broken marriages? How many marriages are, are people in, you in, or you've observed that are clearly broken? It's not the way it's supposed to be. Oh, husband and wife might be living together, but they're basically roommates. They don't get along. They don't treat each other with love and kindness and mutual support, and it's broken. But that's just, it's just how it is. And maybe, maybe you see it in other people's lives too, but you just ignore it. You tolerate it. You don't want to make a scene. You don't want to say anything. Broken marriages. We get accustomed to them. I've known people that have been accustomed to broken marriages for 60 years. They're still in a broken marriage and they're out working to fix it because that, well, we've been doing it for too long. We get used to it. We get accustomed to it. What about broken families, maybe dysfunctional families of, of violence or anger or, or some kind of rebellion in some way? We just get used to it. We get accustomed to it. And maybe it takes an outsider to go, hey, how come you guys treat each other like that? Take someone else to tell us that it's broken. Or maybe we just have been in that dysfunction for so long that that's what we're used to and that's what our kids are used to and then their families are like that and on and on and on. We just get accustomed to brokenness. Statistically, that's most families now. There's a problem there. We get accustomed to it. What about broken finances? You know, and I don't mean this in a spiritual sense, but like, I mean, sometimes we just get accustomed to being broke and not knowing where our money is and not having organization and, and, and all of that. We just get used to it. And we just don't know anything better. What about broken cities? By the way, on the screen there, that's Visalia. That's not like Haiti after a hurricane. Okay, that's near the St. John's River. That's our town. How many times we get accustomed to driving down the freeway and seeing homeless people? Or seeing people with clear mental health issues or addiction issues wandering down the street and we just kind of ignore it? We get used to brokenness. Well, we're accustomed. That's just how it is. It's sad, but we just don't notice it anymore. Yeah, we ignore it. We get accustomed to the brokenness. What about broken churches, even? We get accustomed sometimes to churches acting a certain way that isn't biblical. Maybe they've been broken for 1,500 years, and there's a better way in Scripture. But we're, get, we're just so used to a certain model that's broken and flawed that we've never even thought about doing something different. You know, I, I've been reading up on, I mentioned it on Wednesday night, how there's all this controversy right now in Canada about churches using tax-exempt status because of preaching against homosexuality and all the controversy over that. People are like, how horrible will that be if we don't able to have tax-exempt status? So churches are getting attorneys and they're getting this and that. I'm thinking, wait a second, maybe the model's broken. When we have to have attorneys and treasurers and, and, and accountants and, uh, and judges figure out how we can function as a church, we probably have a broken model. Maybe this isn't the way it's supposed to be. But we're just used to it. We're born into it. Well, that's how churches function. Maybe it's not right. Maybe we've gotten accustomed to something that is broken. What happened here in Nehemiah is that God's people failed to see that the wall was still broken. They were just living their lives. They were going about their business. And they couldn't see that, wait, there's rubble all around us. Because you drive by something long enough, you just don't notice it anymore. I remember one time a friend of mine, we were driving through, I think here Visalia, 
and they mentioned how, you know, this town's kind of weird in the sense that you'll have a brand new neighborhood and then something that looks like farmhouses from, you know, the late 1800s and then over here a big vacant lot. And like, it's kind of, Visalia's weird like that. I didn't notice it because I just drive by it all the time, right? It's, it's not weird to me that there's this weird pocket of old town on K Road between everything that's new on Ben Maddox and Lover's Lane. What did that come from? Why is that probably a farm labor camp at one time and grew or it was like farming community? I know why it's there, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's odd. Why is it that in Fresno, I grew up in Fresno, you'll drive in the middle of Fresno, all of a sudden there's neighborhoods without sidewalks and they're patrolled by the sheriff department. They're county islands. That's weird, but we get used to it. We get used to it. We get accustomed to things that aren't necessarily, I'm not saying that's broken, but the walls were in Jerusalem. And they walked by them, they rode by them on their donkeys all day long, and they just said, that's just how it is. They failed to see that the system was broken. So what was it time for? It was time for a wake-up call, and that's where the book of Nehemiah comes in. Let's read. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanai, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is there, and he, and, he, and he inquires. He wants to know, hey, what's going on? Because Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. He's in the capital city there of Persia. He's not in Jerusalem. And he's asking about one of his brothers and some of the men who came from Judah. He goes, hey, tell me about Jerusalem. Because imagine that. I bet you Nehemiah's heard about Jerusalem. Now, he wouldn't have ever been there as a citizen. He would have already been in captivity. But he would have been familiar with Jerusalem. And, and he heard stories about that great holy city and about the glory of it, and about the worship that was there, and about the people that were there. And, and he heard about that. He said, so tell me, tell me about the people that are already there in Jerusalem. Maybe they, they came there with Ezra 10 years ago. He's excited to hear about it. And they said to him, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress. That's not the report he wanted to hear. They're in great distress. And reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. The report he gets isn't good. He goes, Nehemiah, the people are in spiritual disarray. They're, they're in reproach. The wall is crumbled down. It's not the way that it should be. And Nehemiah hears this report because he's hoping for a good report. Man, the people have restored sacrifice. The people are preaching the word of God. The people are building up the wall. He doesn't hear any of that. He hears that it is just crumbled and fallen apart and it hurts him. He thought they were going to be able to fix it or take care of it while the, the remnant was there. But no, it doesn't. And Nehemiah is hit with this realization. And sometimes we're hit with that too. Where someone else comes to us and says, here's how it is. And we're hit with this, like a ton of bricks that, that something is broken. Wait a second, my marriage isn't what it should be. My family's not what it should be. My relationship with my friends is not what it should be. My church is not what it should be. My community is not what it should be. This world is not what it should be. And you come to this realization, it's that aha moment or that I've had it moment. And you think, wait a second, this isn't right. What do we do when we realize something is broken? Well, here's what Nehemiah did in verse 4. It says, 
When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And you can picture this from the human standpoint. Have you ever just been hit with such overwhelming facts that you just kind of fall back in your seat? And you're just like, what? What's going on? Nehemiah does that. He sits down and he weeps and he mourns for days. He was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That's how we need to be when we see brokenness around us or in our own lives. Let's not just point the finger. Let's look at the plank in our own eyes. When we come to the realization of brokenness, we need to be taken aback. We need to fall back. We need to pray about it and fast and weep. That's what he did. And here's what Nehemiah prays. And let's look at his prayer here. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who perseveres or preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So he starts by turning to God and says, God, you are an amazing God. God, you are great. God, you are awesome. God, you, you keep that covenant with us as long as we keep your commandments. He says, please listen to me. Verse 6, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I'm praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel. So Nehemiah is not just praying for himself. He's praying for everybody there. He's coming to God and says, God, please listen. Please open your eyes and your ears and, and hear my prayer as I pray for Israel. He says, your servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. He doesn't begin the prayer with, God, you should tell those people to fix that. God, those people have a hard heart. No, he incorporates himself into it. He's in Persia. They're in Jerusalem. But it's still part of that same family. He feels responsibility of it too. We should feel responsibility for our communities. We should feel responsibility for families around us. We should feel responsibility for our brethren. That's what he's doing here. And he weeps and he prays and he confesses sins. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you. He's admitting it. He goes, we have not kept the commandments or the statutes or the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. See, they had the old law. They had the Mosaic law. They knew what they were supposed to be doing, but they weren't. He says, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. He says, I know that's a fulfillment of that prophecy. He goes, I remember you told Moses that if we're unfaithful, you're going to scatter us. Now we are scattered. There's a remnant here. There's people there. I'm here. He goes, but I also remember you said, verse 9, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will bring to gather them from there and I'll bring them to the place where I have chosen for my name to dwell. He goes, look, I know, God, that you can bring us all back together. We don't have to be divided. We can be united. Man, isn't that a prayer needed today? Look at the state of Christianity in our world today of how divided it is. And yet, what did Jesus pray for in John? He prayed for unity, right? Yet we're so scattered. He says we could bring it together here in Jerusalem. According to this situation here, of course, for Israel. He can bring them together. He says they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech you, 
May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight and revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now, the, this man that he's talking about, he's going to go to the king and ask for help, which is a big deal. We'll talk about that next week. But Nehemiah, when he saw the brokenness around him, what did he do? He prayed. He turned to God and he prayed. So what about us? When we see that our life is broken, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. We're a slave to sin. We're not living sanctified lives. We're not pursuing holiness. We're not treating people right. We're not loving God. We're not loving others. That's broken. It's time to turn to God with weeping prayer and fasting and ask for help. When we see that our marriage is not the way that it's supposed to be. When we go home, barely say hello to our spouse and get on our phone, get on our TV, not talk, not love each other, not hug, not compliment, not pray together, not read our Bible together, not talk about our vision for our spiritual future together. That's broken. And we must work to fix it. When we see our family dynamic isn't the way that it should be, kids being disrespectful to parents, parents not loving their kids like they should, not glorifying God in the home, not focused on spiritual matters, but focused on everything else in the world. That's broken. We need to work to fix it. When we see even our financial state is broken, we're not glorifying God with how we use our money. It's time to fix it, make radical changes. When we go out into our communities and we see that it's broken, instead of saying, well, I hope the mayor does something about it, I hope city council fixes it, we as God's people, a light in the world, need to go out there and say, how can we fix it and pray to God that he will use us? When we see churches that aren't the way that they should be. When we read about the church in the New Testament and how they worked and how they functioned as interdependent communities of believers doing life together, praying with one another, supporting one another, meeting together, sometimes in homes, sometimes in community places, sometimes outside, doing that, living life, avoiding sin and preaching the gospel to the entire world. And then we look at how we do church as a institution, nonprofit body, um, maybe country club mentality where we come in, sit on a bench, look at a stage and check our, the mark. We go, wait a second. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. And when we realize that, man, it's time for us to fall back just like Nehemiah did and pray. Because when something is broken, you don't ignore it. You don't get used to it. You're supposed to work to fix it. We should always be looking to fix everything that we're a part of because there's brokenness all around it. Always looking, even if it's already not broken, it can be better. Can our marriages be stronger than they were last year? Absolutely they can. Can our families be more godly than, when, than they were last year? Absolutely they can. Can our church be more biblical than it was last year? Absolutely it can. Can our city do better for the poor and the hungry and the downtrodden? Yes, absolutely it can, right? We can fix these things. We don't ignore them. We work to fix them. And fixing it starts with turning to God and asking him for help. That's what Nehemiah did. He realized it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't put it off. He turned to God and said, God, we've sinned. God, we've broke everything. God, we haven't been dealing with it like we should. We are sorry. We repent. Please forgive us. And God, Help us to be successful. That's a prayer that we should be praying all the time in all sorts of different situations. Maybe you just had a fight with your spouse. You go to God in prayer and say, God, I've sinned. I haven't treated my spouse the way I should. I need to do better. Please forgive me. Help me to fix that relationship. And then you go and work to fix it. 
When there's, when there's drama in your household with, with your children, pray to God and ask him, God, help me. Give me wisdom on how to deal with this problem, how to work through this, so that together as a household, instead of yelling at each other, we're praying with one another. By the way, if you're not praying with your spouse and praying with your kids, reading your Bible with them, talking scripture with them, talking about your vision for your spiritual life with them, you will have a broken home. And that goes the same way with churches. If the only thing we do at church is, is show up, it's broken. It's broken. We need to go to God and go, God, our church is broken. We haven't been preaching to God like we should. We haven't been loving people like we should. We know we're doing things the way we shouldn't do them. We know that we're not as biblical as we can be. Help us, God. We repent and we need your help. God, we've neglected our cities. God, we've neglected uh, others around us. God, we've neglected to love others. We gotta pray and ask God to help us be successful. Now, when we go on in the book of Nehemiah, we find out that the people rallied behind him. They got motivated, they got energized, and they said, you know what? We're not satisfied with that brokenness anymore. That's not the way that it needs to be. But sometimes you need that, mm, that I've had it moment, where you go, that's it. I'm not going to let it be broken anymore. I will Fix it. Now, whatever you need to fix in your life and I need to fix in mine might be different. But I bet right now, all of us have something that we're thinking about. That we're like, yeah, I know I need to fix it. But, but then the devil's pulling us saying, no, 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 it's fine. Ignore it. Let it go. You don't want to have that drama. You don't want to have that conflict. You don't want to have that turmoil. Life is good right now. No, it's not. No, it's not. We've just become accustomed to the brokenness. You know how many times I say, oh, the shifter's fine. We don't need it working. It's only fine until someone else tries to drive the car. And then they realize, wait a second, what gear am I in? There's a big difference between reverse and drive when you don't know what gear you're in. We can't ignore brokenness anymore. We have to arise and build. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Let's close our lesson with a prayer this morning, and then I'll have us all stand, and Mark will lead us in a song. Let's pray. Our wonderful God, an amazing God who loves us, who forgives us, who, who saved us. God, we come to you now knowing that we've become accustomed to a lot of brokenness. Some of us have broken homes, broken relationships, whether it be marriages or with our children or with our friends or with our coworkers or with our classmates. Father, we know they're broken. We've just been ignoring it. Help us not to ignore it. Father, we know that many of us are broken in the sense that we keep giving into the same sins over and over again. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We know it's a broken life that we're living. We try to fake it. We try to go through the motions and we know that we're fooling people, but we know we can't fool you. Help us to make the proper repairs that we need to make. Father, we know a lot of us live broken lives when it comes to how we use our, our resources you've given us, whether it be our homes or our finances, or our talents. We're wasting them. We know that that's brokenness. Help us to use what we have to glorify you. Father, we look at our city, our city here, and the cities where others here are from, and we know that there's a lot of brokenness in them. There's people that are poor. There's people that are homeless. There's people that are fatherless, motherless. There's people having abortions. There's people on the streets. There's people being raped and murdered and part of gangs. We see the brokenness but we've let it go for way too long. Father, help us to work to fix it and forgive us for those times that we've ignored it. Father, we know that a lot of times our church is broken. We like to act like it isn't at times. We like to go through the motions. We like to 
feel like everything's okay, but help us to realize when we're not the church that we need to be. Help us to seek you first in your kingdom. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy that still loves us even though we are so broken. And we pray that as together we seek to arise and build as we study the book of Nehemiah, we pray that you will strengthen us and give us the success that only you can provide. Forgive us, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.